Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Well, we're excited to have you with us for another edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. I'm Israel. And I'm Brooke. And we're going to be talking with you tonight about home education. We're going to do something a little different in this episode. And uh, the fact is that I'm usually the person who's out talking about home education at the homeschool conventions or doing radio interviews, talking about my experience being homeschooled and uh, my thoughts on home education. But tonight we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to wear the hat of being the radio show host, and my wife, who's usually the co-host, is going to serve as somewhat of a guest tonight. We're going to talk about her experience being home educated. She actually grew up in a pioneer homeschooling family back in the early 1980s and is now a homeschooling mom who is, along with me, home educating our eight children here in Southwest Michigan. So, uh, Brooke, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started in homeschooling? Uh, I know you didn't begin uh, in home education. Your parents didn't start homeschooling you. That wasn't their mentality from the very beginning. But how did that eventually morph into a home education experience for you? Well, sure. I'd love to share all this. Uh, My mom and dad put me into a parochial preschool when I was about four, maybe three. And I was there for about two years. And actually, my mom ended up just wanting to be with me so much. And I definitely wanted to be with her that she acted a little bit as a substitute teacher now and then. However, most of my time there was not from with my mom. I was separated from her and I had some serious withdrawal problems. I was starting to uh, just become non-communicative. I was not learning well. I was not doing well. I became a very depressed little girl and my mom was really kind of concerned about what she saw going on with me. When the time came to start looking for kindergarten, she went to several kindergarten classes, asked to sit in and see what was going on to be able to choose which um, type of school she was going to go with. She was very disappointed to see some major problems going on, a lot of neglect, a lot of discipline issues, a lot of strange behaviors from the teachers, such as, uh, in one case, putting children into a trash can with a lid on, slightly on, to uh, discipline them. And she did not want that for me. So she started really starting to think outside the box, but she was not ready to homeschool. So then what happened that led her on the path of home education. How did she first learn about homeschooling? Well, the interesting thing is it kind of came in two different separate events. One was that a friend of my mom's began to homeschool and gave her an audio cassette tape. My mom said she put it on the audio cassette player, and then as the time went on, she wouldn't listen to it. She didn't want to become one of those weird people, so she walked great big circles around it. When she finally did listen to that tape, she said she was a homeschooler halfway through that tape. It was a tape by um, Dr. Raymond Moore, who was a pioneer in just promoting, hey, moms and dads can educate their children and they can educate them better because they have an invested interest. She also heard Dr. Raymond Moore on um, a TV program. 
And when she watched that, that helped solidify her convictions and goals. My dad was a little more hesitant. He kind of looked at it like, well, at least you're starting in kindergarten, early elementary. Let's not, you know, let's try it out now and we'll see how it goes. But his intention was not to homeschool through high school. Okay, so Dr. Raymond and Dorothy Moore were kind of the grandparents, if you will, of the modern-day Christian home education movement. How did your family get to meet the Moors in person? I know you knew them personally. How did you first get in contact with them? Well, uh, my mom obviously wrote to them and started finding out information from them because she had heard this audio cassette tape. She had then been able to watch them on television, and her heart was moved that she was going to do that. She wanted to connect with her children and oversee us, especially at that time academically. And that evolved later into understanding homeschooling as a relational approach to capturing your child's heart and especially for using it as a model for um, reaching children, her children for the Lord. So when she first heard about the more, she connected with them and later set up some events for them when they came to our home state of Arizona to be able to speak to homeschoolers and possible future homeschoolers at that time. We were privileged to be able to have them over for to our house for some dinner and uh, I was probably about eight years old when I first met them in person. And I, I remember getting a, a special little button that says, I love homeschooling from the Moors. They were very special, very sweet people. And they taught my mom. They really inspired her in, a, in just a huge way to love her children, to feel that she could do this job of homeschooling her children. So the Moors, of course, were, as I said, one of the first advocates for home education. And Dr. Moore went all around the country talking about homeschooling and conducting seminars, doing a lot of uh, expert witness testimony in court cases because homeschooling was illegal in a lot of states back then because of compulsory attendance laws. And so he was helping to give expert witness for these families to help them to be able to homeschool legally. But he had actually been part of a filming uh, of a video that you ended up on as a child. Uh, tell us about that. Well, um, when I was 13, I know that uh, the Moors had asked my mom if we would be able to be able to come and be interviewed on this television program. And, you know, back early on... Was this on, national or was it in Arizona or do you um, remember? Well, it was in Illinois and, you know, my, it was memory, in Illinois. my memory is a little fuzzy about how it was actually broadcast. I'm not really sure I know those details. I think it was really special for us, though, because that was part of how my mom actually got into homeschooling. So now, fast forwarding about eight years, just being able to... um have her own family interviewed was very special for my mom. The Moors had a foundation of saying that in your education process, families need to have uh, uh, shares in portions of their day put aside, portions of their week put aside for work, for study, and for service. And service was a big, important issue for the Moors, and that really spread to my mom's philosophy. And then just being able to realize that it's not all about academics. It is about reaching other people. Now, it's interesting that you mention about uh, reaching other people and having other people in your lives and service and that kind of thing. Um, my experience when we were first homeschooling, my family started homeschooling in 1978 out in Maryland. 
And we didn't know any other homeschoolers for a long time. And I would say we were fairly socially isolated early on. And uh, your experience was quite different from that. In fact, your mom started a homeschool support group in Arizona called Eastside Explorers. Uh, Tell us about how she got involved with that. Well, it really sprang from a need that she felt for herself to be around other homeschool families and to have that support and also to be able to conduct some things like uh, field trips and so forth that were easier to do with a group. She really wanted to encourage the homeschoolers that she was starting to meet, but she also wanted just to be able to gather together and know that there was someone else that was doing this. I remember as a child, um, you know, between the ages of about five and eight years old, getting to sit down and um, talk with some of these moms. Mostly I would sit and listen with my mom and the others talk. And one of the things that just surprised me maybe as I've looked back on those conversations I recall from my childhood was the intensity with which these mothers were willing to uh, put into their homeschooling. They didn't have degrees in education for the most part. And most of them had not planned on homeschooling until they, until they started, it wasn't a lifelong uh, dream of theirs. But the thing that my mom would always say is that homeschooling is not a sacrifice for her. Some of the homeschooling moms she knew, they were like, oh, I have to sacrifice my career or my time or, you know, it's other interests I would have. And my mom said, it's not a sacrifice. This is what I want to do. This is what I love because I love my children and I love spending time with them. So what area geographically did this homeschool group serve? Uh, It was the east side of Phoenix, near Scottsdale, Paradise Valley, those types of areas in in Phoenix or um, in Arizona. And so it was surprising. There was quite a few homeschoolers in that area. It grew to be quite a large group and it actually still exists. And what year was that? Uh, Somewhere between 1983 and 1985. And then she also was instrumental in helping to launch the Arizona state homeschool organization, AFHE, sometimes called AFI, and uh, she served there as a board member for a while, too, in the uh, early to middle 80s as well, right? Yes, she did, and um, she spent some time with that, but then backed off to just be part of the local homeschool group, being able to encourage those folks, being able to field calls from lots of new homeschoolers, and, you know, just the things that come with putting together support group, the local meetings. Um, She also actually taught Spalding classes on the side. What is Spalding? Oh, yeah. Spalding has been a lifelong uh, partner with me. And it's actually a program for teaching phonetics through the art of writing. And by writing, I mean spelling and then going on to sentences so that reading truly does come from an understanding of phonics and spelling. And so anyhow... Uh, in my later years, we actually kind of dropped out of some of the homeschool groups, as at least as far as being a vital part of the leadership. And my mom really felt that, that was essential at that time because she was fielding a lot of calls, really encouraging a lot of young families in the basics of getting into homeschooling. And she felt like there were some other people that could take over that. She wanted to make sure she didn't lose some pivotal years when my brother and I were in our young to mid-teens when um, she knew that we needed to have her listening ear. So what types of classes or enrichment programs or field trips or whatever did you have available to you through your Eastside Explorers group? 
Well, we had so many good experiences. Of course, so we had a lot of the typical go to the farm, go to some factories, but we had some really interesting and unique types of field, um, field trip experiences that were set up for us. And I really enjoyed those probably about once a month. You know, Arizona's got some beautiful weather. We had nothing uh, holding us back in the wintertime as some other states do. One of the things that I think was a really neat launching experience for the ESA Explorers group was starting an inventor's day and, um, different types of, um, inventions were brought into place as far as each student would choose an inventor or then it became other things such as a president's day, etc., where each child studied a particular person and then would bring forth kind of like a science fair type of, um, demonstration and exhibit. And so that was a neat thing. Also, one thing that was launched in Eastside Explorers was a um, career day where moms and dads would put on some exhibits to show children, the homeschool students, um, various fields they might be interested to learn more about in the in their different careers. So then what types of classes did you take in particular? I actually was pretty young and didn't take too many classes there, but later on, my mom got us involved with a couple classes, uh, debate being one, public speaking, Toastmasters, let's see, hmm, trying to think of some other ones, um, a Latin class, and so there were several different things that we did. I really am thankful that my mom chose not to ship us off for too many classes. We usually only had one a semester that was an outside class besides musical teachings and so forth, and some sort of private type of teaching. But um, I really appreciate that because our days were spent at home, uh, truly being home educated by our mom. And so any outside class was with a great deal of oversight, our mom was very involved, usually set in on the classes, so that there was a lot of camaraderie with our mother and also just being able to share what was going on and to deal, of course, then with the resulting relational issues and um, good and bad that came up with having more association with other kids. Yeah, so your experience being homeschooled was a little different than mine in another aspect, and that is that I grew up with five sisters and it was my older sister and I, a six-year gap to my next sister, and then my four younger sisters were all grouped together pretty closely. And so one of the things that uh, was different about our experience was that you know, my mom was a single parent, and she was also running a business. And so the way that she approached homeschooling us was quite different. She didn't quite have the time that uh, to invest with uh, my older sister and I because she had younger children that she really needed to give the one-on-one attention to. So when we were in high school, for example, we did the Becca Video uh, Academy. And so we were doing video classes, which was really great because it was a very self-directed study for us. And, and uh, we did pretty well with that. But your mom had a different family dynamic and it was just you and your brother, Chris. So your, again, your home education experience was a little different with uh, a little more one-on-one time uh, with your mom as opposed to um, more of a, a group approach, I guess, to some extent that my mom had to utilize just because of uh, the situation being different, the family dynamic being different. So um, tell us a little bit about your home education experience. What curriculum did you use predominantly? Did you use one 
major publisher or was it mix and match or, or what type of uh, curriculum approach did your mom take? Well, my mom took an approach of being very eclectic with her curriculum choices. I mentioned that she used Spalding for phonetics and then also for spelling. And we used, oh, just, you know, different things that she could come across. The curriculum choices were a lot different back in the 80s than they are today for the homeschooling um, crowd. And so I'm really, you know, she pieced together what she could. She used a lot of Saxon. And believe it or not, I actually liked Saxon. Uh, I know that's the homeschool child's worst fear nowadays, but I loved it. And we used some Bob Jones. Um, very eclectic, though. And we pieced together what we could. A lot of living books, a lot of books from the library. We enjoyed just some time reading aloud together. And it was a different dynamic. My mom really took... Um, really took the time to make sure that each subject was taught, that lots and lots of conversations happened around the books that we read aloud together. And it's been an interesting dynamic for me growing up with that. That was uh, really what I wanted to emulate and what I am seeking to emulate with some modifications because it's a different story of homeschooling two children close in age and eight children spread apart in age. And so I'm modifying her approach, which I highly respected, to um, being doing a lot of reading aloud and breaking up my my little children into groups of a couple, you know, three to four maybe children at a time that are closer in age so that we get some of that, uh, some of that conversation and togetherness aspect that my mom passed on to me. Now, being a homeschooled graduate yourself, was there ever a point where you questioned whether you would homeschool your own children. Did you ever think of putting them into a traditional school, a government school or private school? I actually never did. I always wanted to homeschool my own children. And a lot of it really goes back to I was blessed with an extremely good experience. My mom and dad always made it very clear to us that they wanted to homeschool us. It was their joy that they felt like having started maybe with more of an academic approach to homeschooling, that it had really grown to being, oh, we just love this way of passing on not just the Lord, but also a love for being with our family, a high value on what the Lord teaches as far as loving your brothers and sisters, getting along with your family members, and then naturally being able to follow um, pursuits that we were interested in without some of the tensions without the tensions of uh, peer pressure and temptations of the immorality, sex, drugs, etc. that often um, can can become a part of a young person's life by the peer pressure influences in a high school. So now that you're homeschooling your own children, you mentioned you do a few things differently. Uh, from a curriculum standpoint, what are some of the curriculum providers that you've come to appreciate personally for you, you know, that you're using with your children? Well, I always say that the one thing about my math choices uh, it, that I find that I love about our math curriculum we use and the one thing that I find difficult is the very same thing. We use Making Math Meaningful for the grades um, up through 7th, 8th grade. And who publishes that? And Making Math Meaningful is put out by Cornerstone Curriculum. It's David Quine. Oh, they're just wonderful books. They really are very heavy on concept 
and not so much repetition of facts. And so I have found that that has really drilled into our children an understanding of math. The thing I I love about the thing that I struggle with is it's very time consuming. It's a lot of one-on-one teaching between a mother and her child. And so it's a lot of, um, a lot of interaction, a lot of time required. It forces me to make sure that that time is there and develops those relationships revolving around math. All of our children have come to really like math because of this approach. At high school, I plan to switch to Matthew C, which I know uh, so many are familiar with at this point, and it just looks like a fabulous program, and I've I've been very um very impressed with what I've seen from it. I do use Spalding to a maybe a lesser degree than my mom did, because she uh, put a lot of time into really learning the rules, and um I've been challenged maybe by Israel's perspective of get some groundwork of rules, get some groundwork of basic phonics, but then get that child onto reading and then kind of edge back, maybe come back a little bit to understanding all the whys and wherefores of spelling. Well, if I can just jump in there. When our firstborn son, Benjamin, was first learning to read, we kind of hit a wall with the Spalding approach. And the best way that I can compare uh, Spalding is to compare it to the classical piano method where you're basically taught all the notes and the scales and the theory. And the idea will be that you have to learn all the rules. And it may be a year before you really know how to play a song substantively. Um, there's another approach, which is kind of the uh, approach of, of learning chords and just banging out a song with a few basic chords, learning a, a basic chord progression uh, or, or playing by ear, something along that line. And uh, that approach is a very different one, where as opposed to sight-reading notes, uh, you just learn basic chord progression, and you can be playing a song literally in a day with that approach. And so we were kind of trying to do this uh, this classical phonics method, if you will, with Spalding, and it was just uh, too much information for him, and he didn't really see the benefit of reading because he wasn't reading yet. And so I recommended a program. Do you remember what that was? Oh, Alpha Phonics by Samuel Blumenfeld. And now we've used it with all of our children up to that are reading so far. And it's been great. I have really loved it. It's It kind of brings both perspectives of you make sure you learn your phonics, but let's get on reading. Let's get that child going quickly. Yeah, part of the deal with that, of course, Sam Blumenfeld has been one of my heroes ever since I was a kid. Uh, I didn't use this phonics program because it, it wasn't really out at the time when I was learning to read, but um, he's just one of the underrated heroes of modern education, I think, and everybody should read his books. Uh, he's just a great guy. He's on the indoctrination film and has a chapter in the indoctrination book uh, as well, as I do. Um, and he also wrote an endorsement for my book, Homeschooling from a Biblical Worldview. Uh, so Sam Blumenfeld's a family favorite here. But his program is so inexpensive. I mean, it's like 35 bucks or something like that. You get a basic phonics program. And essentially, it's, in my view, a modernization of the McGuffey readers. The McGuffey readers were the phonics and reading programs that were utilized by early Americans from the time of the colonial period till about the time of compulsory attendance in the mid-19th century. And uh, those books were how... Lots and lots of children learned how to read. And so it's a very basic, simple program, but it's an adequate program. And you can teach a child how to read 
with a $35 phonics program. Um, I do agree that the Spalding program is kind of the Rolls Royce and uh, it's, it's absolutely a f- fabulous program, but it is very labor intensive. It's very time intensive. So we've kind of created a hybrid, I guess, where mm-hmm. you're doing a little bit of both. Right. You're sticking to the uh, traditional, <laughs> but you're also modifying it with the simpler uh, alpha phonics approach. Right. And, uh, and with the mathematics too, just, you know, David Quine, uh, was a guy that I met in 1989 when I was like 13 years old. I met him at the HEAV convention in Virginia and, uh, became friends with him and just really appreciated, uh, his ministry and, and their curriculum. What I love about their curriculum is that as opposed to, as, as Brooke said, just rote memorization, uh, that is abstract where kids don't really get it. It's very hands-on, kind of manipulative-based math. It's very similar to math you see in a lot of ways. It's a little more affordable um, and a little more parental involvement. Um, Steve's got those great videos that he does with math you see that, that help in a lot of ways to teach the concepts. But um, it only goes up to... What about sixth grade, something like that? Oh, a little higher, and Eighth you know, grade, I'm wondering if, like that. if he'll produce maybe something that he has up to algebra one now, as far as I know. And um, I'm kind of wondering if if we'll see some more books come out in the next couple years from him. But he he does a great job, and our kids have really benefited from it. And um, so, but one thing that's a little bit different about our dynamic is that. I'm probably a little more involved in the curriculum choice than most men are. And part of that came from me working as the director of marketing at Homeschool Digest for 20 years, where I worked with a lot of these curriculum publishers. Of course, I knew many of them because you know my mom was the publisher of Homeschool Digest. And so she had a lot of them write for our magazine. David Quine started writing in the late 80s. Samuel Blumenfeld started writing in the late 80s. And uh, so I grew up you know, reading these guys' articles or Michael McHugh over at uh, Christian Liberty Press. We love a lot of their books and right. uh, love what they do. And, um, and and so, you know, we've worked with a lot of these uh, organizations for a long time. So I've been fairly familiar with the curriculum. And so in one, one sense, I think I'm a little different in that respect in that I've often uh, made curriculum recommendations and I'm probably actually more involved in the curriculum choice than Brooke is. Brooke's a lot more involved in the daily hands-on, one-on-one teaching time, but um, we have a little different dynamic uh, in that respect. Yeah, it's worked pretty good for us. But then uh, we're also really big into the idea of literature-based learning mm-hmm. and utilizing real books, utilizing biographies, um, a little bit of historical fiction, but we really like history. I mean, we, we like history more than the fiction. <laughs> yes. So what, t- tell them about some books that we've really appreciated for our children. Well, we uh, just um, purchased actually some books from YWAM that are the missionary stories, and all our children have loved them. They've been zipping through those. That's been a lot of fun. A lot of books from Christian Liberty have been really good. Um, a lot of history-based types of books. For the younger children, we really like the Rod and Staff readers. They have some great books for early elementary age children that are just good read-alouds, uh, that are wholesome, um, where the children don't have bad attitudes. That's something we, we really don't like in children's books is yeah. children who argue and whine and complain and talk back to their parents. 
It's actually been a lot of fun as our oldest child is getting into that high school age. And we're starting to just pile on some books. He's a great reader. And so he's been zipping through. Oh, let me see. We've been reading through, have him read through Do Hard Things. Yeah. Also, a lot of Ray Comfort's books. Um, Jeff Baldwin's The Deadliest Monster. Uh, Grace Malley has a great book called uh, Let Our, Will Our Generation Speak? Will Our Generation Speak? Which is on evangelism. Uh, Ryan Dobson has written a couple of good books for youth. Um, he's getting ready to go through a book called Choose My Religion, Choosing My Religion by R.C. Sproul. Uh, a lot of economics by R.C. Sproul Jr. Yeah, yeah Jr. Economics. Um, R.C. Sproul Jr. is probably the best that there is on economics. Um, so, you know, I'm a big apologetics guy. Uh, he just went through Don't Check Your Brains at the Door by Josh McDowell. Um, you know, we, we just use a lot of Ken Ham. Um, for the little children, also Christian light publications. We really yes. enjoy their readers a lot. Again, very wholesome readers for the children. We found that a lot of old books are really helpful. Um, we have used a lot of landmark books. Extensively. <laughs> um, Benjamin really enjoys G.A. Henty books. And uh, a publishing company called Inheritance Publications, our uh, good friend there, Rolf Kars Jansen, our, our Canadian friend, uh, and his dad, uh, Rolf Jansen, uh, who's the founder of Inheritance. Uh, Benjamin just loves their books. I mean, he just can't get enough of those. And we've really appreciated um, him learning history through a lot of the books that Inheritance publishes. So we've just had tremendous fun, actually, passing on some beloved favorites, Corey Timboom, all kinds of wonderful books to our children, um, kind of turning them loose sometimes for a couple hours. Hey, go read this book. And then at the end of it, being able to say, okay, so what'd you learn? And of course, children don't come pre-programmed usually to know how to write, how to speak, how to draw forth. Okay, here's what I got out of this book. So that's been a really, um, you know, slow process, but it's coming along of drawing them out, providing them first with, here's a book, think about these topics. What about this angle? What about that? And being able to ask good questions that really help that child think through what the, what those materials they read. Uh, one of the programs we're using is Institute for Excellence in Writing by Andrew Pudua, that I love their approach that you don't stick a blank piece of paper in front of a kid who doesn't know how to write. And so that's helped especially I think for boys being able to start learning how to express some things by carefully guiding them through the principles of writing by sometimes even what, dare we say it, copying somebody else's work. Not in the sense of copying, but of um, rewriting it and then spring using it as a springboard for then later on writing from their own experiences. And then for science, um have to put in a plug for my publisher, um, Masterbooks has published my uh, New Leaf Press and Masterbooks has published my new book, which is called The uh, Questions God Asks. And uh, they are the world's largest publisher of creation-based material. And they have some fabulous books uh, from groups like Answers in Genesis and ICR, the Institute for Creation Research. Uh, they publish the Henry Morris Study Bible, which is something that we really love. We've used that for our family with uh, family worship, particularly right now. We're going through the book of Genesis, and uh, we use the commentary there from Henry Morris for 
uh, our family. I don't think there is uh, another tool that we would ever use for Genesis than Henry Morris's commentary on Genesis, because it's just flat out the best that there is. And uh, we just love a lot of the curriculum that they publish. We've benefited from that pretty dramatically for science in particular. Yes. Uh, but they've got a lot of curriculum that they're developing for elementary, middle school, and high school. I just love master book stuff. It's all from a biblical worldview. It's solid. It's uh, it respects the authority of Scripture. We've really benefited there. So we use um, making math meaningful from Cornerstone Curriculum for math. We're going to be using Matthew C for high school. For uh, for phonics, we've used uh, Spalding and Alpha Phonics. For science, we use a lot of stuff from Answers in Genesis, uh, ICR. Uh, master books. We've used some Apologia stuff. We, mm-hmm. we like them. They're good, yes. good folks. Um, Davis and Rachel Carmen there. Um, we've used some of their materials. Uh, we also have enjoyed the videos that are produced uh, by our friends in Idaho, uh, Biology 101 and Chemistry mm-hmm. 101. Mm-hmm. And um, Wes uh, Olson there and his family have done a great job with those videos. Our children love them. And if ever want to make uh, biology and chemistry easily understandable for your children, I would highly recommend their videos. And uh, as we said, for economics, um, R.C. Sproul Jr.'s curriculum is uh, as good as it gets. Uh, History, we don't really use a history textbook. We just encourage our children to read real books. I think that's a lot better for them to understand what happened and the context in which it happens. We, we try to find a lot of first source documents there and utilize the library. And actually, we've gotten into sometimes using some um, documentaries on DVD, especially from our library. And that's been a, that's been a big benefit, too. Yeah, we like Ken Burns, uh, who has produced a lot of documentaries for PBS. He's not a Christian um, and not all of his material has a biblical worldview, but uh, we really appreciate what uh, what he does and. Um, our son is Benjamin is reading History of the American People right now by Paul Johnson, who also wrote the book Intellectuals on Philosophers. Um, he's, again, I don't think a, a professing Christian, but um, a very good historian. We also like David McCullough a lot, who wrote John Adams and 1776 and Truman and uh, forget what all else he's written. Again, not a Christian historian, but... Uh, a guy who really um, has, has done a great work in helping us to understand um, the, the American history. And uh, so there's just a ton of great resources out there. We've used some of um, uh, the principal approach stuff. Mm-hmm. We're not exclusively principal approach, but we love what they do. Um, there's a lot of great material that's uh, put out by like Pilgrim Institute. Our friends there, uh, Ruth Smith and, and Jeanette Whitaker, her daughter. Uh, they do some great stuff. We we just um, have been really benefited by uh, the great material that's available to the homeschool community. There's so uh, much really more, is. so much more out now than there was when we were being homeschooled. Well, and, you know, we haven't used it, but My Father's World has put out some great concepts and ideas for parents. I know several families who've used that. And it's really neat seeing how each family can kind of, and even year to year or child to child, kind of look at what is it that's going to benefit our family because these are tools and the, the goal here is to raise children who love the Lord and who love other people and have skills equipped to serve the Lord and to serve other people. It's been a lot of fun for us showing our children these tools, leading them into learning their skills, 
Um, but I think for myself and, I, you know, one of my mom's ma- basic ideas was she wanted to make sure she didn't squelch the love of learning and that she utilized a child's natural curiosity and um, just the joy of learning to be able to help us learn what it is we needed to know in life. So for us, one of the things that we've looked at is curriculum as being like a tool in a toolbox. And for us, we're not obsessed with tools. We want good tools. We want tools that are efficient, that help us to get the job done. The most important thing for us is knowing what the goal is with the tools. And for us, the goal is that we want to raise children who know, love, and serve God and love and serve other people. And we're going to use a lot of different tools in our parenting toolbox for that. And academics is going to be one of those tools. And um, with that comes certain curricula and certain books. But again, those are means to an end. They're not an end in and of themselves. I think something that um, both of our mothers really felt strongly about was equipping us through the very, very basics of just reading and knowing how to look up information that you need to know. That's such an important tool for a child, any child to know, is, okay, do I have what it takes to learn? I really feel like for myself, and I've asked my brother about this, we never had anything that we felt like we couldn't learn. I mean, there were certain things that intimidated us or we weren't interested in, or that um, obviously you'd have to learn many multiple steps before you actually got to certain things, being a doctor, being a lawyer, etc. But um, just being having the very basics a strong helped us to know, okay, we can learn anything because we know how to go about the learning process. So we hope that this inside glimpse into uh, our home education experience, my wife's uh, child child hood and her experience as a homeschool student, but then also our experiences we're home educating our eight children has been helpful for you. Uh, we don't believe that there's a one-size-fits-all approach to homeschooling. We don't believe that your family needs to use the same curricula we do. We do not believe that uh, one curriculum is going to be right for every family or even every child. We think that each individual child is uniquely constructed by God. Each parent is constructed by God. You need to know your your teaching styles, their learning styles, and you may need to use a different subject and a different publisher with every single different child. So in other words, if you're teaching math with four children, you may need four different math programs. Um, Hopefully not, but you may. And so that's the beauty, though, of home education is that you can customize the curriculum around the child instead of forcing unique and special children into a mold where they all have to be fit around a standardized curriculum or standardized methodology. So uh, we are excited about the fact that we know many of our listeners are currently homeschooling. We hope if you're not homeschooling, you'll give it a consideration. And uh, one of the tools we want to recommend to you is my book, Homeschooling from a Biblical Worldview. I also have an MP3 CD. It should be available on our website, uh, familyrenewal.org. And it's called Homeschool Essentials. And it'll be about 10 hours of audio on different home education topics. We encourage you to check that out. And then my other book, uh, Full-Time Parenting, A Guide to Family-Based Discipleship, is really the the first book. Uh, The two kind of go together, but it's the relationship book, and it's the one that deals with how to have the heart of your child and the family dynamics that are the foundation that undergirds the homeschool process. And so we 
Hope you'll check out my book, Full-Time Parenting, as well. And then the newest book, as I mentioned, published by New Leaf Press, is called Questions God Asks, and it makes a great uh, resource for family devotions and uh, also for personal Bible study. So we hope that you'll join us next time. We thank you so much for listening, and we appreciate you. Bye-bye. God bless you.